Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We're talking about issues involving Maine and today issues involving uh, citizens across the country, particularly veterans. After a bit of lobbying at the end of the year, I managed to get myself appointed to the Veterans Affairs Committee of the United States Senate. And I learned that I'm the first senator from Maine to be on that committee in 28 years. And I'm really pleased to join it and particularly pleased to join it because the chair of that committee is John Tester of Montana, who has really done an amazing job of making that a bipartisan uh, and a productive committee. And he's with us today on Inside Maine. Senator Tester, like, thanks for joining us. Man. It's, it's, it's great to see you, Senator King. And uh, I, I just want to add to that that uh, you are a great addition, no baloney implied here. You are a great addition to the Veterans Affairs Committee because you're going to bring that Mainer common sense to, uh, to our committee. Well, well, we'll certainly try. One of the things I wanted to start with, I, I, I did a little research uh, on the committee after I learned that I was going to get this appointment. You were one of the most productive and bipartisan committees in the Senate. You, you had 49 bills in the past two years enacted into law. Lots of committees have, you know, if they're lucky, five or six bills. What's the secret? How have you managed to pull that off? Well, I think, number one, it's it's the issue we're dealing with. We're dealing with taking care of the people who have served our country in the military, and we're dealing with it from a perspective of making sure that when they've been changed by their service to this country, that we're going to live up to our obligation and make them uh, back to whole as much as possible. That is something that is uh, an American value. And whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, whatever it is, I think taking care of our veterans is pretty fundamental to who we are as a democracy. And so that's, that's what we start out as a foundational perspective. And then you put on this committee some people who are very proactive. You know very well, Angus, serving on some of the committees we serve on, there are people who want to get things done, and there's people who want to be obstructionists, and there's people who just don't care. Um, the truth is, is on this committee, we've got, without exception, everybody wants to get some stuff done. And they want to they want to move the ball forward when it comes to our veterans, whether it's health care, housing, education, or whatever it might be that deals with our veterans. And so consequently, um, that along with the fact that the ranking member on this committee is a good friend of mine and a good friend of yours too, Angus, in, in Jerry Moran, a Republican senator out of Kansas. We work well together. Do we agree all the time? No, we don't. Uh, every once in a while we disagree. But we disagree without being disagreeable. And I think that's the key uh, to getting bills through the process and and uh, and being successful. And... Um, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for being able to chair the Veterans Affairs Committee because they're not all like that. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and as I say, it's been statistically, it's been one of the most productive committees in the Senate. And, and I look down the list of members and they are people like Tom Tillis and Dan Sullivan. I think Lankford is on there uh, on the Democratic side, good, solid members all the way down. And uh, it's similar to I'm on armed services, as you know, and and that's a similar committee where, you know, it's, it's mostly about trying to do the right thing in terms of defending the country and uh, not a lot of posturing and, and uh, speech making. And so uh, I, I think that's where we're, we're going to go. I, I have to t share with you that uh, I found out on Thursday or Friday of last week, just about a week ago, that I was officially going to be joining the committee. So on Monday, we put together a meeting up here in Maine at the at my hometown, uh, uh, Brunswick, Maine, uh, American Legion Hall with veterans from across the state and, and leaders of veterans organizations. 
to listen. And I want to share with you some of the thoughts that they had. And I don't think there'll be any surprise uh, in no particular order. Uh, oversight. Uh, that was one of the things that they really, that the veterans stressed, that it doesn't end our job to pass the bill like the PACT Act, the burn pit bill, we've got to be sure that it's administered. And, and I, I, I suspect that that's going to be something on your list for this year. Absolutely unequivocally. Uh, you know, we had a very successful 117th Congress, last Congress, and we passed the PACT Act, which is the biggest expansion of VA health care uh, in history, I believe. Um, we've passed the John Scott Hannon Act that dealt with, with, with mental health. We've uh, we passed a bill that deals with women's uh, veterans, which is the fastest growing group of veterans that we have out there. And it's great to pass these bills, as you know, Angus, but it's implementation that really counts. And making sure that we're doing the oversight on the PACT Act, making sure they have the manpower, the facilities, making sure that the VA is implementing the John Scott Hanna bill, which deals with mental health in a way that Congress intended is really important, using using alternative methods to take care of our veterans' uh, mental health challenges is really important. And the same thing with women's health care. Uh, you know, the the military has changed in the last 20 or 30 years, and women are a critically important part of our military now. Now they're becoming veterans. We need to make sure the VA is stepping up and serving them in the appropriate way. So it is oversight. That is, when I when people say, what's your plans for VA this year as, as chairman of the committee? Oversight, oversight, and even more oversight. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have other things to do. There's certainly uh, things in manpower and facilities and education uh, uh, that that we need to be dealing with. And so, uh, you know, it's it's there. But oversight, I agree with them 100%, should be our number one issue. Well, one of, one of my mottos is uh, execution is as important as vision. And passing the bill ain't enough. So I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. Not not at all surprised. The other another issue that came up frequently in our discussion this week with my discussion with the veterans was transition, the transition from active duty to, to veteran status and the handoff between the Pentagon and the VA and lots of ideas on that. One of the best ones I thought was to make it so that a veteran can before they leave, I'm sorry, an active duty service member before they leave can give permission for their contact information to be shared with the with the veterans organizations in the state where they're going. My ideal would be to have a buddy literally meet them at the airport and say, welcome back to Maine, welcome home. Here's how the VA works here. Here's where the Legion and the VFW or the DAV, whoever you're qualified for, to, to have that, uh, that warm handoff, that uh, smooth transition. Because as you know, statistically, a lot of the suicide problem occurs in the first two or three years after separation. So I, I hope that's something we can pay some attention to. So this is where you're going to be playing a critical role in the committee. Being on armed services is really going to help us with that transitional conversation. I think you are spot on, Angus, when you say this is something we need to focus on. We have had hearings on this before, and I'm going to tell you something. The military does a great job protecting our nation. We do a great job making civilians into warriors. We don't do a very good job making warriors back into civilians. And your ability on the Armed Services Committee to help hold the, the DOD accountable is going to be really, really important because I think transition, in my opinion, and I'm not a doctor, I'm a farmer, but in my opinion, this is where the challenge is. And while the military is trying to keep their numbers up because we, we need to have folks serve in the military, so they're trying to retain people, the last thing they want to talk about is showing people the door. But the truth is, is people retire out of the military. And if we do that handoff, 
better, I think we'll see a direct correlation to the number of mental health challenges that are out there for our veterans. So, Well, I, I'm going to work on it on armed services because, and, and by the way, I think we ought to think about maybe a joint hearing on this subject. I'd like to get armed services members and veterans committee members together with the military and the VA in the same room. We, and to talk through some of these things. Is that something you think we can pull oh, off? You can, I, I, we can talk to Jack I, Reed? I am absolutely amenable. And, and, and Jack and I work together on military funding on the Defense Subcommittee on Appropriations all the time. And, and, and we work hand in glove with the Armed Services Committee in that vein. Uh, we should be working together on this one, too. Well, what I've told Pentagon witnesses over the years on armed services is I think you should spend as much time, money and effort on the transition out as you do on recruiting in. And that would be a start. So I'm glad to hear you say that that this is a priority. And I've got Dave Richmond on the line. Dave Richmond is the director of the Bureau of Veterans Affairs in Maine. He's a it's a state position that uh, serves the governor and the veterans of, of the state. Dave, uh, talk to me about this transition issue and how you see it from the state perspective. Thanks for having me, Senator, and welcome from Maine. And also, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with Senator Tester. Thank you. So transition's big for us too. It's a very big priority for us here in Maine. And uh, the TAP program is where uh, we've zeroed into. TAP, I'm going to stop you. TAP stands for? Transition Assistance Program. That's the program for active duty before you, you leave, right? Exactly. Every service branch has their version. They all have the same elements. But I, I clicked through the Army one today. That's the one I used when I left the military in 1997. And it wasn't nearly as expansive as it is now. And I think if it had been, I might have had a little easier time coming back into the civilian world. But for everything that it is right now, there's a few improvements that I think could be made. And you touched on one of them, Senator, and it is making a warm handoff between DOD and their gaining state. I have a counterpart in every every state and territory of our nation, and they all have similar functions. They're reaching out to veterans who are in their state and connecting them with state and federal programs that can benefit them, benefits they've earned. A lot of the time, the service member doesn't know we're here until they get here and they stumble into us. So I think that I have an idea how this warm handoff could work, and it, and it sounds a lot like in this TAP curriculum, the TAP instructor could say, all right, Here's the addresses, the email addresses of all the states in the and territories in our country. Pick one or two or three that you think you might end up into. Pull your phone out and send an email to them right now and uh, ask them what, what they have for you. I was telling the story yesterday to our career center folks, the uh, disabled veteran program specialists and the, the leavers. And they're like, hey, Dave, when people go through the TAP program right now, they're actually doing something like that, but it's in the Department of Labor. So the the instructor flashes this thing up on the screen and has us pick a state and they give them time in class to send a note. And well, we're getting we're getting notes right now from people um, in the career centers from active duty personnel coming home. It sounds like the elements are there. We just need to refine it and, and hone it. John Tetzer, let me let me get back to you. And, and this the transition gets to a, a very serious issue, which is suicide. And uh, it relates because. The higher it's a higher level of suicide among veterans in the first few years after the after they leave uh, active duty. But this is talk to me about this tragic issue: fifteen or twenty a day, fifty-seven uh, percent higher suicide rate among veterans than the general population. Uh, a lot's been done. Is there more to do? 
Oh, absolutely. There's 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 far more to do, and and I think listening to folks on the ground uh, like Dave here uh, talk about what he sees as challenges is is really important input as we try to do things at the federal level to help. Look, Angus, I I just think that uh, the military is different than civilian life. And the, the leadership structure, your life is so structured, you have, you have somebody that uh, is above you uh, in most cases that says, you know, we're, we're going to go here, it might cost you your life, and these folks never, ever challenge it. And now you go back into the civilian world, and there isn't that kind of structure. There isn't, uh, th- there isn't the risk of life and death literally every day that there can be when you're in the military, particularly in theater. And so it's a different world. And so it, it makes only makes sense that the, the mental health challenges are going to be there. I mean, it isn't something that's unusual. It's something that is human nature. And so making sure that, um, as you pointed out, uh, if we spend as much time uh, allowing folks uh, in the transition as we do recruiting, it would be a major, uh, it would be a major accomplishment. But I, I don't think there is any doubt about it. I think the clinical evidence, the scientific evidence would show that if we can make this transition smoother and so that there is less uncertainty in, in these, uh, these people's lives that are transitioning out of the military, you're going to see mental health challenges reduced greatly. Well, that's and and I have learned that uh, there's now a national suicide hotline nine eight eight. But there's also, if the veteran, if it's a veteran and they then they dial 988 and then they push one, they go directly to a specialist in dealing with, uh, with these kinds of challenges for veterans. And, and I think that's important. I, I think we ought to get that number out there, 988. And if you're a veteran, hit one and uh, you can find some help because part of the problem is reaching out, uh, stigma, getting people to reach out when they, when they need help and and I think making that as easy as possible is, is, is part of the job. Absolutely. And making sure that when they call that number and hit that number, there's somebody there that knows what they're doing that can answer the questions is also really important, too. You don't want to get put on hold if you're in crisis. I'm just telling you. And uh, so we, we, we as senators uh, need to make sure that if, if, these, if these numbers, and by the way, I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying if they're not working right, we need to hear about it so that we can apply pressure to the people to make sure they are. When, when I was governor, I used to call the state 1-800 numbers just cold and see what I got, see how long it took people to answer. Scared the hell out of them sometimes when they, when they answered. But uh, I think that's something that, uh, that, we, ought to, that the, we ought to be doing. Yeah. Uh, we're also uh, you know, talking about broader issues of, of, of the, the VA itself. And I, I had a meeting recently with uh, VA officials in Maine, head of the benefits program, and the health program, and staffing is a serious issue. And one of the things they talked about was a bill that you sponsored called the Careers Act. And that came up at our meeting uh, with the veterans of, of improving the prospects of the VA in staffing up, particularly with people involved with behavioral health or or clinicians, and and that's something that we got to work on. Uh, absolutely, I, I'm going to approach uh, this issue in two different areas. We have a person that we're going to be bringing up to head uh, VA benefits by the name of Josh Jacobs. He'll be in front of the committee next week. I met with him yesterday, and you will this week, Angus, if you haven't already. 
he's a really good guy. And he informed me that he's been on the job for six months. He hasn't been confirmed yet. I hope we get him through the committee and off the Senate floor. But he told me that they've been at job fairs uh, around the country, and it has been very good uh, very good response to their job fairs. They've hired literally hundreds of people in the last couple of weeks. That's a very good thing. But the truth is, is we need to even do better. And that's why the Careers Act comes into place. Because if if we got somebody that's good for the job, whether it's in delivering health care or delivering benefits or doing benefit analysis or whatever it might be, we need to get them hired. They can't wait months for this. Not only do we need them to get them hired, we need to get them on the, on the job. What I'm hearing is it takes an, a hell of a long time from the day you say you're hired to the day they can start because of the bureaucracy in Washington, the Office of Personnel Management, approval of this, that, and the other thing. Uh, we've got to be sure that our state, you know, the the VA in, in, in each of our states has the authority to move forward because I'll tell you, if somebody has to wait six months before they can start, their their life's going to move on. They're going to go somewhere else. You're 100% correct, and that's exactly what we're intended to do here is to cut that hiring time down so they can get on the job much, much quicker because, uh, you know, we've got to try to emulate the private sector as much as possible. We've got to be competitive with wages and hiring practices, and quite frankly, we're not there yet, and this Careers Act hopefully will get us there. Well, I'll look forward. That's one of the uh, priorities that I want to – I want to work on is, is the, you know, the down and dirty part about, you know, actually getting these things implemented and done. Uh, because if we don't have the staff, like you say, if there's nobody there answering the phone or if it rings 25 times, it ought to be like LL Bean. LL Bean keeps track of how long the phone rings before somebody answers. I mean, they, they know down to the second. And, and if it, and if the, if the, if the phone rings more than like three times, uh, before somebody answers to take your order for a pair of bean boots, you know, they fix it. And I think we've got to have the same kind of standards. And so, again, it's, it's, that, it's that unexciting oversight stuff, but I think that's an important part of our responsibility. Absolutely correct. And LL bean boots are very, very important, but when you're talking about somebody's life, that even maximizes it. So there, uh, you're there right. There you go. John, what else? What are you looking for? What are your priorities uh, for this year? We talked about oversight. We talked about transition. What, what else is, is, on, is on your mind as the chair of the committee? Well, I can't emphasize oversight enough because I think it's really important. We passed some really big game-changing bills and got them through the Senate and got them to the president's desk for signature. It is really important, probably more important than passing the bills, that we make sure these bills are uh, implemented appropriately and meet the needs of our veterans out there. Uh, we've talked about uh, getting folks on board quicker, making sure that their salaries are competitive with the private sector, making sure that not only we get them hired, but we get them in the workplace as soon as possible. That's really important too. Uh, there is one other issue uh, out there. It's called the Major Richard Star Act, which is the number one issue by all the veteran service organizations, I shouldn't say that, but nearly all the veteran service organizations, because there might be one that I don't know about. And this is a, a bipartisan bill to restore full DOD benefit, retirement benefits, and VA disability payments to those who served in less than 20 years because they're forced out of the service due to medical retirements due to combat-related injuries. So you're asking yourself, are you kidding me? The folks yeah, that are I'm pushed saying, out. Why is, why is this even exactly. on the table? That's exactly correct. It's on the table because we need to fix it. And it's not the way it is and it's not the way it should be. It costs a few bucks, quite frankly. But the truth is these folks serve. They went into combat. 
they got hurt, they were forced to have medical retirement, and they don't get full retirement benefits and disability payments. I know Angus King would say baloney. I would probably say something else to that. But the truth is we need to get this fixed. John, I think but before I let you go, I, I think one other thing, and this is not strictly related to the, to the veterans issue. I, I want our listeners to, to know that there are times when we do work together, uh, that, that in Washington, we don't hate each other. We work together. We get a lot done of the five or six or seven big bills that we passed in the last Congress, like the PACT Act and and the uh, Chips and Science Act, the infrastructure bill, were all bipartisan. I think there was one or two that weren't, you know, that were one party, but all the rest were bipartisan. And I, I think it's important for our listeners to, to realize that uh, we don't hate each other. We do work together across uh, across party lines. And uh, I know that you, you feel that way, and your committee's a good example of it. Uh, you know, Maine and Montana are a lot alike. Um, uh, I will just tell you this. And, Angus, I, I don't think I have to tell you that my state was built by people working together. And I think the same thing could be said for Maine. If we don't work together, we don't get things done. We don't get anything accomplished. We don't move the ball forward. And some of my best friends are on the other side of the aisle, um, uh, absolutely unequivocally. And and I will tell you that you're right. Uh, is there is there a lot of division in Washington, D.C.? There really is. And most of the times the folks that are on the far right and the far left get all the attention. But the truth is there's still some really, really, really good people here on both sides of the aisle that want to get something done to move the, move the ball forward. And oftentimes we do. And that's a very good sign for the country. Well, John Tester, thanks very much. Thanks for, for all you're doing. I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to uh, harassing you on the uh, Veterans Affairs Committee. You're you're going to regret recommending my <laughs> my joining. Uh, but, uh, no, no, no kidding, though. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to working with you, John, and I think it's going to be rewarding, hopefully, for the veterans. Uh, Angus, you know this. I, I have a tremendous opportunity to work with two great Maine senators and, and Senator Collins, his ranking member on the Defense Appropriations Bill, and get a chance to work with you in all sorts of different venues and and you guys do Maine proud, and uh, and not everybody has that opportunity to be able to have, be represented by two people who are really solid people. Uh, I will close by saying it's a pleasure to be on with you on this podcast, and I look forward to you holding me accountable on the Veterans Affairs Committee. <laughs> John Tester, thanks very much, and stay with us on Inside Maine. We're going to be back talk a bit with uh, Dave. Richmond about what's going on in Maine uh, in terms of uh, veterans affairs and uh, what we uh, what we can do, what we have done, and what we should be doing. John Tester, thanks a lot. Stay with us on Inside Maine. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Inside Maine. We just had a good conversation with John Tester, who's the chair of the Veterans Affairs Committee of the United States Senate, which I was fortunate enough to be appointed to uh, just a week ago. And now I want to turn the conversation to what's going on within Maine. And we're talking to Dave Richmond, who is the director of the Bureau of Veterans Affairs for the state. And uh, Dave, you heard the conversation with, uh, with John Tester. You joined us for a bit. Talk to me about what the state's role in uh, helping veterans to survive, flourish, uh, prosper here in the state of Maine. Thanks for having me on, Senator. Our biggest mission is to be a single source of veterans' uh, information and connection for the veterans and their families in, in our state. So our charge is to identify them, 
and connect them with the VA for VA healthcare or get them in front of one of our veteran service officers to help them file a claim for a service-connected injury and connect them with the many different state benefits that we have, anything from a, a park pass to get into our state parks to our recognition, coins and certificates for their, for their service. We're also in charge of our state veteran cemetery system. So we've got four veteran cemeteries located in, in our state, Springvale, Caribou, and two in Augusta. Part of our bureau is in, is in charge of running those. There's a lot we do for veterans, and um, I know that you and Senator Tester were talking about making the connection when a, when a veteran's uh, transitioning out of military service and coming back to the state, and that's a big part. That's really where our mission begins. It's locating those veterans before they get here. Well, do you have some suggestions as to how we can do that better? We did talk about it briefly, but and I like the idea of the of the uh, the, the TAP program that where the veterans are, are they're not veterans yet; they're still on active duty, uh, but they can specify which states they're going to and and uh, g g uh, get in touch and and will they routinely supply their contact information? That's the important thing for you to be able to reach out to them. That's right. And, and I know that the Department of Defense has been working on ways that they could do that, that the service member could voluntarily put their email address and their contact information when they sign up for the program about a year out. The problem is not every service member understands the value of doing that, and it has to be explained for it to be effective. I also mentioned that I was talking with our Department of Labor representatives in our state and, and giving them my, my elevator pitch for how TAP transition assistance program, how that curriculum I think could be improved to make a direct warm handoff from the uh, person teaching the class and that, that contains the service member that's learning about all of these benefits to the actual state that they're going to. And I explained, you know, it could be as easy as flashing a slide up that has the links to every state bureau of veteran services and asking that service member to pull out their phone and send an email to their gaining state and just say, hey, I'm coming to your state. What, what do you have for me? Let me take that to another step, though. So you get that information. Could you then pass it on to the to the veteran service organizations or to a cadre of volunteers in the area where the person is headed so somebody could literally meet him at the airport? I think we could do something very similar to that. And, and what I told the Department of Labor reps was, if you're getting emails right now from individuals in this TAP class Here's a copy of our two-page welcome home letter that we're sending out to veterans that do share their email address. I'm going to give it to you, and we're going to deputize you as Bureau of Veteran uh, Services employees, and I'm going to ask you to send this letter to them. And when you write back to them, because they reached out to you on how to get a job in Maine, copy us on it. Put, put my veteran service officers on there. Put me on there. Put our Bureau address on there so that that service member has now a made a direct connection with our state. And you asked about a buddy uh, to meet them at the airport. We have all kinds of um, vet to vet programs and peer programs in our state. And our veteran service officers and our employees are versed in all these different organizations. Once we have contact with this transitioning service members, we can plug them into these, these resources like Operation Reboot that, that takes veterans fishing or hiking or hunting, and there's all kinds of programs like that. It sounds like the key 
is that initial connection of, of sharing contact information. We've got real resources, but we just need to make that one first connection to, to make them available. That's right. I looked through the Army version of the TAP program, and they've get a they get a block of instruction on several different things. So you get the Department of Labor, which we already talked about. They have one on the VA. And the Army's version of the VA curriculum for TAP is 200 pages long. And that the information on how to reach your state is in there. I, I clicked on it today. It's on page 179. Oh, give me a break. Yeah, it's on page one, 179, and you can click on Maine, and it, co it goes right to our website, and then you have uh, Dave Richmond's smiling face there, and all the things our state can do for you. The problem is it's buried in that. Yeah, curriculum. it ought to be on page one. That ought to be number one, you know, where are you headed back? Going to Maine. Okay, here's the connection. Well, okay, that, that's one. We, we'll, we'll work on that, and I don't know if that takes legislation. Is that something I can work on in the Armed Services Committee with the Pentagon to, 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 uh, to try to dig into the TAP programs? In my opinion, you're in a unique position, Senator, because you're on both of those committees, and I think you could, you'd be in a position where you could say, it's on page 179, but it's one of the most important things. All it takes is whoever you have teaching that class to say, turn to page 179 on your laptop and click on the state that you're going to and type an email to them. And now you're directly connected with resources that are going to help you, help you find a job, help you get connected with the VA, help you in all kinds of ways, hook you up with peer-to-peer -peer organizations. And um, every state has a version of this in every territory. I can't say consider it done, but you can certainly consider it in the works. I'm, uh, that's, I'm going to go to work on this as, as soon as I get back. Great. Thank you. Now, how about your relationship to TOGAS and to the, to the VA health centers? Is that basically you, you work with them as a, as a referral and, and uh, sort of uh, watchdog? Well, we, we do work with them. In fact, one of my goals when I took this job was to, to reach out to the director of VA Maine Healthcare and to the director of the Veterans Benefits Administration regional office in, in Maine and cultivate a really close partnership with both of them. And I feel like we, we have that in our state. We're very fortunate to have a very close relationship with the VA healthcare. So that's, that's all of the CBOX, all of the community-based clinics throughout our state and location at Togas. I get my health care at Togas. My experience has been excellent there. I always hear that. And but what I used to hear, the care is great, but it's hard to get in. But lately, uh, they've been doing a much better job in terms of the, the speed with which you can get appointments. But I'm worried, as you heard me talking to John Tester, that we're as we get into staff shortages, that the wait times are going to get longer again. I know the wait times are, are a, uh, they can be a problem depending on what, what specialty you're waiting for. And it's, it's not, as you pointed out, it's not just main healthcare. It's, it's like our main veterans homes. It has a very similar problem finding qualified staff, you know, that it's a major, major issue. That's the kind of thing that, that we've just got to keep working on. And you, you heard uh, Senator Tester mentioned the uh, careers act, which is a bill that uh, is in the committee that we're going to be working on probably in the next several weeks that will improve the incentives 
that the VA can offer that uh, I, I think is, is, is really important. I mean, the bottom line, I mean, the, the, the real conclusion here is that these are the people that really deserve our full support, help, uh, everything that we can do. And uh, we're not we're not meeting that burden right now, although a lot of progress has been made. But uh, we've got to just redouble our efforts, I think, and and make sure if somebody calls that hotline that there's a good qualified person to answer. Somebody calls for an appointment at a CBOC or at Togus that it, it doesn't take a, a long time to respond. That's that that to me is one of our great challenges, I think. That's true. You know, and, and it's not I don't put this all on the on the VA or the Veterans Benefits Administration either. I know that there are things that we can do in our state that'll help with these challenges. And I know I talked to you about our welcome home project that we're doing in our state. And that's an example of something that we realized at our level that we we download the discharge information from every transitioning service member that's coming to our state. So we have a copy of their phone number. And in some cases, if they choose to, we have a copy of their email address. So it's not a perfect solution because we don't get it until about 30 to 60 days after they get here. But when we do get it, we can use it. And we are. We're, we're calling these transitioning service members and we're getting their email address and we're sending them a welcome letter and we're telling them about our bureau and we're checking in on them. Well, the, the other thing that I've been so impressed with is the is the number of people in Maine that are that are involved as volunteers in these various local councils and local organizations, uh, statewide organizations. There's a there are a lot of good people in Maine that are engaged in 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 these issues. That's very true. From the uh, Maine Veteran Coordinating Committee that meets every you know the first Monday night of the month, and to uh, our yeah, I was on their I was on their meeting this week. I joined that's their right. meeting. Uh, I joined their meeting this Monday night, and that's a statewide group that works with all the various organizations that serve veterans. Is that is that the mission? That's correct. And they um they since they've gone to a Zoom platform, there you know we found that more people are uh, engaged with them, and it's it's really a it become a great place to go get an update from the VA, the VBA, or the Maine Veterans Home, or our bureau. And also the congressional delegates. Um, I'll have a representative there, too. So, um, well, we should have started this conversation by pointing out that Maine has one of the highest percentage of veterans in the country. It's right right around 10 percent of our entire population are veterans, which is which is very high, over 100,000 people. And uh, so this is this is not a small group. This is a very significant part of each and every community in the state. It really is. And we're finding that um, our, our population, our veterans population is going down. So uh, but we but you're right. You're absolutely right, Senator, that our our we are still per capita a very high rate of uh, service in our state. Well, you mentioned going down. And of course, part of that is the, the passing of the World War Two generation. And that brings us to Maine Veterans Homes, uh, which have been very successful and very popular. But uh, there's a, a kind of uh, trough of, of eligible veterans between the, the passing away of the World War II generation and the full retirement of the Vietnam generation. And then, of course, later on, Gulf War, War on Terror. Uh, so we've got to find a way to be sure that those veterans homes can continue through that period of lower demand 
uh, so that they're there when we need them again uh, uh, in, in a big way in, uh, in a dozen years or so. You're absolutely right. And I think our state, um, our state has a unique challenge. Um, there are probably some other rural states that have a similar challenge, but um, we have, we've placed remote veterans homes in, in places so that a veteran's family doesn't have to drive. Five yeah, like in, like in Machias right. and Caribou. Exactly. In Machias and Caribou. And um, it's great that they're in these communities and we're, you know, our state is struggling with how to maintain these services in these areas with a declining population and having a hard time finding staff. And I think that a stakeholder group just went through a year long process of study and I've looked at the studies and I think that there's some, we've, we've learned some really valuable lessons. There's a, a veteran stipend for most of the people who are in a, in a state veterans home. The, the VA will cover a veteran who's 70% or greater service connected to the VA, um, they'll cover their stay. And that's happening for a percentage of the veterans in our, in our um, state veterans homes. Then there's other veterans who are eligible for a stipend, a, a per diem payment for uh, nursing care. And that combined with, with another revenue source like main care will pay for most of their stay. There is a group though, and this is particularly a problem in, in Machias because it's just assisted living. It's just domiciliary in Machias. There's a VA stipend for domiciliary of about $52 a day, but only very few, there's a very few, um, very few veterans that are eligible for that stipend. You can't have dementia, for instance. So we're finding that a lot of the people that need assisted living are not eligible for this type of per diem. Yeah, and that's and 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 the veterans' homes, to their credit, are trying very hard to serve that population. And we passed a law a couple of years ago for the VA to be able to to help with this, and it's taken them two years to write the regulations. That's where we, we're in uh, in regulation hell right now because we don't have the the rules to to implement the law change that uh, that Congress made. Hopefully, we've been poking them. I sent a letter to the head of the VA just a, a couple of months ago saying, you know, what gives? Uh, and supposedly, we're going to get an answer in the next, in the next, I don't know, 30, 30 to 60 days. But uh, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of issue that we have to keep working on. Well, Dave, give me some more homework. What else should I be working on? Dave? Well, I think that that one right there is a, is a perfect one, because like you mentioned, that rulemaking, the, the devil is in the details, right? And if, uh, if, if we can, in that rulemaking process, address eligibility for assisted living and make it more widely available to veterans that need it, and also address the amount. So the amount of the veteran stipend, I think, ought to, ought to really be a benefit to the veteran in that it covers the cost of their stay combined with their other support from main care. And there's room to increase that one, I think. Before we leave, I, I just want to touch on the veteran cemeteries because that they are so moving. Anybody who's listening who hasn't been to a veteran cemetery is one down in Springvale and in Augusta, of course, in Caribou. Uh, they are they, they are wonderful facilities. Are they doing OK? Are they are they uh, uh, adequately supported? They are. They are, Senator. I was just at the uh, the Southern Maine Veteran Cemetery yesterday and I grew up in Southern Maine, so it was. It was an old home trip, and uh, all of our four locations are are distinctly different. And the one in uh, Springvale has a has a, a stream going through it with a bridge, and it's got rolling hills, and 
it's beautiful. And then the two in Augusta are beautiful in their own way. And then uh, up in Caribou, you have the big sky and all the agricultural land. And that cemetery location is beautiful in its own way too. And we're fortunate to have a wonderful staff that cares for these. I was I was updating the uh, Southern Maine Veterans Association yesterday that our state is looking at funding legislation that was enabled federally about a year ago that allows states to choose whether or not they, they want to bury National Guard personnel and reservists who are not who do not meet the federal definition of veteran. And our state decided that they do, but we um, that that went through um, a rulemaking process, and the VA's determination is that. Um, states won't get plot allowance and they won't get a headstone from the VA. So the state has to purchase a headstone that looks like all the other headstones at a cemetery, at a veteran cemetery. And that that's an area I had a chance to talk to the undersecretary of Memorial Affairs last summer. And I, I suggested that, you know, I, I get it that, that a, a National Guard soldier or airman may not be, may not meet the federal definition of veteran, but we're, if we're burying them in a veteran cemetery, um, the state should get, you know, have the opportunity to purchase a headstone. Sure, sure, and the from and the, from the, the VA. You know, the National Guard in Maine have done a done a lot of uh, active duty deploying in the last uh, twenty years, and and the uh, the, uh, the 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 folks who fly those uh, refueling missions out of Bangor are certainly. Uh, serving the national security, whether it's the Air Force or the or the National Guard. Well, listen, Dave Richmond, uh, thank you for this time. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, now that you've got a senator on Armed Services and uh, Veterans Affairs, uh, don't lose my number. Keep in touch uh, and uh, let me know uh, where I can help at, at, at any time. And again, thanks for joining us on uh, Inside Maine. And thank you to our listeners for being with us on Inside Maine, talking today about uh, veterans and the importance uh, that they play in our state and what we can and should be doing on both the federal and the state level uh, to pay them back for uh, the commitment that they've made to our country. Again, Dave Richmond and John Tester, thanks for being with us. And thank you for being with us on Inside Maine. See you next time. This is Angus King.